Hi everybody, this is Gatsad. I hope that your weekend was a good one. Uh, today I want to read for you the passage from The Parasitic Mind, which if you've yet to order and read, why would you be so irrational? I'm offering you the mind vaccine for all irrational ideologies, or certainly all the ones that are sinking the West into the abyss of infinite lunacy. All you need to do is order the book, read it, gift it to others, and hopefully we can return to reason. In any case, let me first read you this uh, passage. It's uh, it's about two pages long, and then I'll contextualize why I'm doing so. This is early in the book where I'm talking about the two fundamental ideals that drive my life, and that is freedom and truth. So here I'm talking about truth. So it starts at the bottom of page 11. So here we go. When I'm exposed to intellectual dishonesty and ideological dogma, I respond in a manner that is akin to someone being punched in the face. I experience an adverse emotional and psychological reaction that compels me to fight back. While I am a jovial and warm person, I can become a combative brawler when I witness departures from reason that stem either from willful ignorance or from diabolical, ideologically driven duplicity. And the example that I'll be discussing today is exactly a manifestation of that. The quest for truth should always supersede one's ego defensive desire to be proven right. Remember that quote. This is not an easy task because for most people it is difficult to admit to being wrong. This is precisely why science is so liberating. It offers a framework for autocorrection because scientific knowledge is always provisional. An accepted scientific fact today might be refuted tomorrow. As such, the scientific method engenders epistemic humility. Remember that concept, epistemic humility. I grew up in a household where this quality was sorely lacking. Several members of my family are classic know-it-alls who seldom exhibit any deference to someone who might possess greater knowledge or wisdom on a given topic. They know more about the heart than the cardiologist, more about teeth than the dentist, more about mathematics than the mathematician, and more about academia than the academic. Also, they were seldom if ever willing to admit to being wrong. When it, comes, when it came to epistemic humility, they were not reincarnations of Socrates. I was always deeply troubled by this family dynamic, for I, views, I viewed their epistemic grandiosity as a deep upfront to the truth. A personal anecdote that took place more than two decades ago perfectly captures this reality. And by the way, in case you're wondering why I'm reading you this, because the example that uh, motivated me to read this section from my book is one involving Sam Harris, yet another Sam Harris beauty. So get ready. A family member remarked to me that the ancient Greeks were anti-Semitic Christians, to which I gently retorted that they were not Christians. The, individuals in, the individual in question insisted that of course they were Christians. At that point, I explained that the time period in question was labeled BC in reference to its being before Christ, prior to Christianity. Once it was clear to this person that my position was unassailable, what do you think he did? Did he grant me the courtesy of admitting that he was wrong? 
I have recounted this tale on a few occasions and asked people to guess what his reaction one was. No one has successfully cracked that mystery yet. When all hope that he might be proven correct was extinguished, he looked me in the eyes and stated with a straight face, quote, Yes, I said that they were not Christians, and you said they were, so I am right. Close, close quote. Of course, we both knew that this was a grotesque lie, but in his narcissistic and delusional bubble, his perfect record of superior knowledge remained intact. It perfectly captures the story that I'm about to share regarding Sam Harris. My mother's admonition about the incongruity between my notions of intellectual and moral purity and the real world was ironically on full display in my interactions with family members who possess zero epistemic humility. My intellectual probity was repeatedly violated by these individuals who cared only about signaling to the world that they knew more than you did about anything and everything. This family dynamic might explain why I'm so offended by individuals who exhibit the Dunning-Kruger effect, that is, a self-assuredness and supreme confidence despite one's idiocy. David Dunning was my professor at Cornell University. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. So remember, intellectual hubris. Remember, a mind fuck. Even when we start with me arguing A and my family member arguing not A, when I prove to him that it's A, he says, yeah, yeah, I said it's A and you said not A. So even though he, we both know who won that argument, he's not willing to admit that he lost because his orgiastic pride doesn't allow him to do so. And now what I'm going to do next is play you a roughly five-minute part. I got it from the Twitter handle of Viva Frey, who got it from someone else. You, you'll, you can follow the link. But it actually comes from a, a show, a new show, I think, that Sam Harris appeared on. And you see it towards at the end of the clip. You, you'll get the reference to that show. So it's about a five-minute clip. And then I'll come back and share some additional insights. Take it back to COVID for a second. In one way, and we got very lucky that COVID wasn't worse than it was, right? You know, it could have been much, much worse. It could have been 10 times as deadly or, or, you know, 50 times as deadly. And we would have, we would have lived through, or many of us wouldn't have lived through something truly awful. But um, mm. had COVID been worse, you know, uh, just enough worse to really get our attention, to really be undeniable, we would have had a different political conversation around it there wouldn't there wouldn't have been the same kind of vaccine skepticism but brett weinstein would not have been releasing 80 straight podcasts on the dangers of the vaccine if a few variables were changed i mean just just take that leave COVID exactly as it is but just make it preferentially dangerous children rather than to old people right you just flip that mm-hmm. around the, the the variable of age if kids were dying by the hundreds of thousands from from covid at a rate of whatever it was you know one percent say um mm-hmm. but if it was pretty much all kids we we would have had a very different experience right and right. and the patience that there would have been no fucking patience for vaccine skepticism mm-hmm. right and we everyone would have recognized that this is not my body my choice this is you're not going to kill my kids with your with your ignorance right 
And uh, you change one other variable. What if the vaccines actually really did block transmission much better than they in fact did? Right. And there was a moment mm-hmm. where it was only rational to expect them to block transmission. Turns out they don't don't do it nearly as much as we would hope at this point. Uh, they just shorten the window by, by which, you know, during which transmission is possible. Uh, uh, if they're even doing that now, I don't know. But um, let's say the vaccines really did block transmission, but then nothing else was, you know, all of the other Michigas about how, you know, untested they are and how dangerous they yet might be and the spike protein and blah, blah, blah. Leave all that in place. Just give me a little more transmission blockage and give me kids being preferentially killed or, or injured by yeah, this, this right. disease. The, it, the, the obscenity of much of what was said, what much of what was said about COVID at the time at which it was said, you know, the, 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 the conspiracy thinking, the platforming of people who were obviously unwell and unbalanced professionally and mentally around, around mm-hmm. vaccines uh, and their skepticism, the patience for that would have been non-existent, right? And so we, so in, in some sense, we got unlucky mm-hmm. uh, at how benign this was and how mysterious it, it could yet seem because, yeah, you could, you could run the argument, well, did he die from COVID or with COVID? He was 80 years old, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. We, you know, that was the situation we were in. I'm saying that there, there, there are changes in the real world that could have happened and could yet happen that would be would have been immensely clarifying, right? And mm-hmm. there just would have been no there would have been no less. It's, the just that I'm just asking questions routine would have not gotten anyone anywhere worth going, right? And that's um, I think there. So you know, to part of what we're talking about here is you know with respect to Trump and with respect to COVID are just contingent facts of these you know unique situations, which had they been a little bit different. Um, we would we wouldn't have fragmented in the same way, right? You dial up the you dial up the risk of COVID, you know, or if if COVID just had been, you know, just made you physically ugly, right? Like if like if, if COVID was monkeypox, <laughs> right, and you had pustules cool. on your face, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. that's that's different than the hypothetical experience we all had of yeah. do I is it a cold? Is it a flu? Is it COVID? Who knows? You know. Yeah. You know like we just i'm not saying i wish for those things because those are pictures of 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 a worse you know worse suffering for people but had those things been in place um i just don't think we would have witnessed the same kind of shattering of our society around this particular variable and um again so i I pivot back to the possibility that if we could get a more normal republican candidate who was not a you know not at the center of a personality cult built on misinformation. Um, mm. You know, that it, there could be a, a swing back to something more recognizable uh, that doesn't seem like a social emergency. And I, but I, I grant you that I do feel like we are in the presence of a social emergency. Uh, it's mm. just the question is, could it, could something other than talking about it be the process by which we overcome it. Mm. So what do you think of that beautiful logic from Sam Harris? So yesterday when I saw that, and remember the 
the passage that I read you. I get pissed off when I see epistemic, uh, you know, a lack of epistemic humility, when I see someone who is so orgiastically prideful that they will never admit that they are wrong. So this has nothing to do with Sam Harris because the examples that I was discussing in, from my book, that, that specific ancient Greek example, stemmed from my family. So if I can go after my family, I can go after Sam Harris, right? So to the idiots who might say, oh, you're obsessed with Sam Harris. I couldn't give a damn about Sam Harris. I've gone after people that are unbelievably more important to me than Sam Harris, my own flesh and blood. I despise that kind of hubris faux hubris, arrogance. So here's what I posted yesterday. I'm going to read you a bunch of tweets in reference to that five-minute clip that you just read. Solid logic from my intellectual hero, the Malibu meditator. Quote, imagine for a second that tarot cards cured all forms of cancer. People would be less likely to criticize tarot cards then. Also, if grandma had balls, we would have called her fucking grandpa. Then I'll go on. Let's assume that jumping from a building did not kill you because gravity. If, because of gravity, if friction operated in the opposite direction to gravity, you could jump off a building and not get hurt. Also, if my aunt had balls, we'd call her Uncle Roscoe physicist Malibu meditator. Then I go on. Imagine for a moment that cancer, hmm, I'm just waking up with the exhale app. Imagine for a moment that cancer was nothing more than multiple orgasms. Then we would not be fighting cancer because it would be pleasurable. So all I'm saying is that if my grandma had balls, she'd be called my grandpa the Malibu meditator. Let's go on because maybe the, the examples are not clear to you yet. You are only worried about the lobotomy because it destroys the brain. Let us for a moment presume that a lobotomy was actually a dopamine-releasing orgasm. People would line up for lobotomies. Neurologist, Malibu meditator. Here's another one, more, one from like... If, if let's say your personal life. So let's say you were just caught cheating on your spouse. Here comes the Malibu meditator. Imagine for a second, you change one variable such that you imagine that I had not cheated on you. You would not be mad because I had not cheated. So I'm right because you are mad now when I'm asking you to imagine how things would be different if I had not. You see, if you know, it was disappointing that the virus only had a 0.03% kill rate. Had it killed a lot more people, and let's say a lot of children, and let's say the vaccine worked the way it was supposed to be, then I would have been right. So you see, there's only every possible variable that I use to be authoritarian. If, if the reality were different in line with what I said, then I would be right. So you see how... You know, all I'm saying is if things were different, then they would be different. And then me being wrong would mean that I was right. So I wasn't really wrong. It's just about changing a few variables. You see the tightness of the logic? That's why he's a meditator. He's on a higher plane than the great unwashed vulgar guys like me who, 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 who think as if we have free will. 
He knows that there is no such thing as free will, but he also knows that Donald Trump should be executed because he's exercising his free will to be an asshole. It all makes sense. It's all internally, axiomatically coherent. On today's Waking with the Malibu Meditator, I'd like you to take a deep breath and clear your mind. Now, for a, mo- for a moment, <laughs> imagine that things were different. Then they would be different. And imagine if you were right when in reality you were wrong. Then you'd be right. <sighs> Exhale. You see why I do what I do? Because I abhor dishonesty. I abhor pride, pride in the seven deadly sin sense. Sense. By the way, I just read a book recently by Paul Offit where he's talking about how uh, many uh, prescriptions in medicine, physicians keep prescribing that course of action even though the data that has come in is inf- you know, astronomically against that uh, prescription. So here, for example... Let me just bring it out. Oh, I don't. I have it actually under the laptop here to lift up the laptop. I recently in Florida bought a biography on Linus Pauling. Linus Pauling won two Nobel Prizes, one for peace and one in chemistry, both one alone, only person ever to win two Nobel Prizes alone. Later in his career, he argued that vitamin C is, is really, really good for you. Just keep taking vitamin C supplements. It cures the cold. You'll never have a cold if you take vitamin C. And as Paul Offit, by the way, who's been on my show, he's a virologist, uh, demonstrated in the book, uh, there is endless amount of evidence, meta-analyses and so on, that demonstrate that, that it's actually false. And no amount of evidence was able, ever able to cause Linus Pauling to deviate from his belief that y- you absolutely would be free of colds of these kinds of viral infections if you took a high dosage of vitamin C. So he always found a way to argue that the studies were not good, that, that, no, it's this, it's that. So therefore, even someone like Linus Pauling was exhibiting grotesque lack of epistemic humility and intellectual honesty, whereby if you see incoming evidence that suggests that you were wrong, stand up and say, hey, hmm, I guess I was wrong. I'm better for it now. Let's move on. That's why I weigh in, not just on Sam Harris. I've weighed in on someone who is much closer to me than Sam Harris as a friend, Jordan Peterson. I used to, if you remember, critique him for his Jungian stuff or critique him for when he's asked about, do you believe in Jesus and so on? He'd he'd become a postmodernist himself. It didn't stop us from being good friends. He didn't block me. He didn't uh, stop following me. He didn't uh, become hateful towards me. As a matter of fact, on one of our shows where I described to him why the concept of synchronicity in Jungian was faulty, he then stopped and said, okay, I guess you got me. And that, to me, showed great epistemic humility because even someone like Jordan Peterson, who's a world-renowned public intellectual who is certainly well-steeped into you know, his, his Jungian stuff, was willing to stop and listen to someone else who might be critiquing a favorite position of his. That's what good thinkers do. Okay, So, for example, uh, 
you know, in, in, in evolutionary theory, there are many people say, uh, oh, evolutionary psychology is a bunch of unfalsifiable hypotheses. Nothing could be further from the truth. There are many uh, hypotheses that have been posited in evolutionary theory that subsequently people tested them and they did not find the support for them. So that's how science operates. That's how honest intellectual agents operate. So go back if you'd like, listen to this five-minute clip of five-minute clip of Sam Harris. Just how much gibberish it is, let alone how insane it is. You know, if everything were different, had we been lucky and there would have been a much greater fatality rate and more children died, and if they had, you know, if 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 people it made people ugly, well then you know I would have been right. So, you know, I was right. It's just that, you know, we were unlucky that people didn't die to the extent to which, you know, they would have needed to die for me to be right. It's just unbelievable. Now, this is the same person, by the way, who said, of course, I believe in freedom of speech, just not for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is too much of a threat. Of course, I believe in presumption of innocence, but just not for Brett Kavanaugh. You know, the, 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 it's, a, it's a job interview to go up for the Supreme Court. So we don't have to presume he's innocent. If someone said that 36 years ago, he may or may not, I can't remember, I don't have any proof, he gang raped me. You know, we have to believe that. He, we can't afford people presumption of innocence and certainly not for a dangerous guy like Brett Kavanaugh. And oh yeah, of course I believe in honesty and not telling lies and journalistic ethics. But when it came to Hunter Biden's laptop, had social media and journalists reported on that, then Orange Himmler would have become president. And so I completely support them violating every ethical guideline to which I otherwise, hmm, waking up, I subscribe to. So I'll throw away every deontological principle that is at the root of a free and enlightened society because, you know, existential threat. It is unbelievable how much a person for whom I had great admiration has completely fallen off the edge. It's got nothing to do with anything personal. I couldn't give a shit about Sam Harris one way or the other. If tomorrow he said, hey, let's go to dinner and talk about it, I'd be happy to go. There's nothing personal. If I can come hard after my closest family members, if they are dishonest, you bet I'm coming after the Malibu meditator. Have a good day, everybody.